you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You might think you know, and you may know in part, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I don't know. And we might try to serve, and we might try to take initiative, and, and we might try to do things, but you know what? Um, as has happened in the past, bad things might happen. Bad things will happen. And we try hard, and we try harder, and then we get blindsided. And we try again, and then we get blindsided again. And then the people we're trying to help slander us, or don't appreciate us, or cast judgment. And how are we supposed to cope with that? And how do we keep hope, and, and what happens to our endurance when we're trying, and we're trying again, and then things keep happening that trip us up, tragedies or trials, and even people's um, ridicule or false assumptions or whatever of us come at us. Well, what we need at those times, there's one thing we should do, and we should go to Malta and have a malt on the island of Malta. That's where we're going to be today, Acts 28. And Paul feels and goes through all of those things to an extreme that we probably haven't been. And, and let's see what he does and allow God to strengthen our spirits this morning. Acts 28, starting at verse 1. Since once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was a cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Poplius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Poplius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. God, we need you to speak to our hearts this morning. And we expect to hear from you this morning. Lord, more than words on a page or, or things from history... We need a touch of your Holy Spirit that is able to quicken the mind, give strength to the heart, uh, to strengthen our arms and hands, to give us new perspective and hope. And Lord, we find it here. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once we were safe on shore, 
We learned we were on the island of Malta. Here's what happened. Paul, his name was prior, previously, Saul. He was a great persecutor of the church. He had authority from the governing uh, rulers of the day to go into houses and drag Christians out and have them put in prison. Paul would cast his votes in favor of killing Christians and stood by as many Christians were martyred. Paul, or Saul, had a conversion experience whereby he put his faith in Jesus Christ, the very person that he was persecuting, put his faith in him, life was radically transformed, and he became uh, a missionary, an author, um, going about throughout Judea, uh, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, some think he went as far as Spain, preaching the gospel, and in doing so, he himself was persecuted greatly, being stoned and left for dead, being beaten many times, whipped, thrown in prison, left in prison, left in prison again, shipwrecked, and, uh, and so quite a life. We pick it up right here where he has been in jail for a couple years in Jerusalem. And he, being a Roman citizen, can do something that a lot of people can't do. He can appeal to Caesar in Rome for a trial, for another trial, kind of a supreme court, if you will. And so he's granted that, and he is on the way from Jerusalem here. They're going up the, up the shore of Syria, under Turkey, and they get this far right here. They're sailing at a, at a dangerous time. It's, it's hitting in the, the stormy season, the winter months, and, uh, and they get as far as here, Fairhavens. And when they get to Fairhavens, um, that's where they should really stop. Paul advises them to do so, but um, there are not good harbors there for a ship. And so the, the sailors and the men think, let's wait for a good day. If there's a calm enough day, let's just get from here, Fairhavens, let's get over here to Phoenix. Phoenix had ports along this side right here that were open to the west, straight shot to Italy, and they'd finished their route. A day comes, it's calm enough, they think, hey, let's go. And they start to sail, and what happens? Well, the winds and the storms kick up, and they are pushed 476 miles out to sea in the Mediterranean Sea. 14 days later, all the guys have given up hope of living. 272 people on the ship. Paul is a prisoner on the ship. They've completely given up hope. They've thrown everything overboard a long time back. Paul speaks to them. We'll see in a minute what he says. Tells them to take courage and that they would run aground the next day. That's what happens, and that's how they reach Malta. Malta is about 60 miles south of Sicily, and um, it's a place um, Phoenician people live. They're greatly influenced by the Greeks, a lot of Roman generals would retire down in Malta at the time. So, life is a series of adventures. Is that true? Every day is an adventure. And here they land on this island of Malta. Life is a series of adventures. That's your first blank. We do not know what's coming. Last week they thought there was going to be a snow day and they canceled school. And there wasn't a snow day. But the next day there was a snow day. Oh, God is writing a story through your life. God is writing a story. A story is being written regardless what role do we end up playing. 
How trusting are we of God's storyline? How sensitive to his leading? How embracing are we? How optimistic? How confident are we in his storyline? Or how skeptical are we? Or how resistant are we? Or how stubborn or how doubting are we of the storyline that he's writing? Life is an adventure. Verse 2, the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us, and they made us s'mores. And, and there is nothing better after a near-death experience and having hypothermia set in to have s'mores. That, but we see here there's some virtue on the land. These people, they, they, didn't, they weren't cannibals, and they weren't indifferent. They didn't just stay in their houses. They came out. They made a fire. It was raining, and it was cold, and they showed some care, some concern to the people that had come in. And, and we know one thing from Scripture, that God uh, sets himself against the proud, but he exalts the humble. He's able to speak into the lives of people if they're humble before him. And, and there's a glimpse that these people have some care, some compassion, maybe some humility. Um, so, verse 3, as Paul gathers an armful, gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, pause. Paul just about died, right? They all almost died. They're sopping wet. They get up on shore. It's, it's time for a break, right? And Paul, he's not just like, hey, somebody needs to make this fire. I guess I need to do it. Because the prior verse said that the natives built a fire for them. Well, the natives and Paul. Paul grabbed sticks and was bringing them to the fire, or helping tend the fire. Paul is taking initiative, second blank, to serve. Doesn't sit back to be served. I deserve a break today. This was common position for Paul. Paul had experienced the love of Christ in his life, and he was ready and willing and wanting and desiring to let that love flow through him to people. And he was serving the people of the island. A lot of precedents in Scripture for serving. And Jesus laid down his life for us to die for our sins on the cross. Paul had the Spirit of Christ in him. And that same Spirit was working and desiring to serve, desiring to pour out for the good of others, that other people might know Christ and his power. He was working through Paul. I'm sure his body said, sit down and have a s'more. Take it. But no, the spirit said, nah, show love to these people. There might be a door. There might be an opportunity for God to touch people's lives. Love involves labor. Labor. That's a word often found close to the word love in Scripture, in the New Testament especially. We see that Paul actually in another letter when he's writing to the Thessalonians, <clears throat> that he says, I know that your faith is real. I know that you are growing in Christ because of your works of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. These are connected. Faith, hope, and love connected to faith is works. Works result from faith. Labor of love is self-sacrificing. And patience, endurance, because of the hope set before, before us. So, um, Paul takes initiative. 
Here's a story. One rainy day, a man accompanied by two women arrived at Northfield, hoping to enroll his daughter in D.L. Moody's school for young women. The three needed help in getting their luggage from the railway depot to the hotel, so the visitor uh, called for a rather common-looking man with a horse and wagon, assuming he was the local cabbie. The cabbie said he was waiting for students, but the visitor ordered him to take them to the hotel. The visitor was shocked when the cabbie did not charge him and was even more shocked to discover that the cabbie was D.L. Moody himself. Moody was a leader because he knew how to be a servant. That was a true story. Your character, integrity, and your willingness to serve, allowing God's spirit to flow through you, informs people of your credibility. So Paul, coming to an adventure, taking initiative to serve, and what happens? Verse 3, and a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. Isn't that great? You're trying to do something good. You're trying to do what you feel God calling you to do, and what happens? You get bit in the hand by a poisonous viper. And maybe that's you. You try to help a neighbor move, and what happens? You throw your back out. You try to initiate devotions with your family, and the, and the sun bumps the lamp, and the lamp shatters before you can even get started. You try to start tithing or giving at church, and that is the week when your furnace goes out. Right? Paul is beaten. He's stoned with rocks, left for dead, in prison, not released, shipwrecked, almost drowned, cold, probably freezing, hypothermia, barely able to escape this, and then he gets bit by a snake. God, couldn't you keep the snake from biting Paul? He's trying to serve people right now. He's trying to love people with the love of God. And let's correct the dangerous notion that if you're a Christian or if you believe, then only good things will happen to you or you won't go through troubles because that's not scriptural and it's not true. And this world is not heaven. This is earth. And justice and judgment are not on this side of the equation. They are on the other side of the equation. And it's there that he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. But this world is decaying, and it is diseased, and it is dying, and a lot of bad things happen. And there are forces of darkness. We don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but there are forces of darkness in this world. There is such thing as a spiritual realm that is more real than our own physical uh, realm. And there are attacks of the enemy who wishes to kill, still, and destroy our faith and our souls. So the snake fastens its mouth to Paul's hand. And verse 4, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. And they said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. So you get bit by a snake trying to serve people. And then what happens? They slander you. Get slandered. Get slandered. The very people he's looking to help, they believe the worst about him. They stand in judgment. Look at the text. It says, they said to each other, no doubt. Case closed assumption. Not ready to hear the other side of the story. No room for rebuttal. Write someone off before hearing the facts. Jump to conclusions. Be superstitious if you want to. Public consensus is not always right. 
in fact, it's often wrong, believe very little of what mainstream media outlets purport. Be, be careful what we believe and what we believe. Have people written you off? Maybe you've been the one that's been written off, not given the benefit of the doubt, assumptions made about you, and it hurts. Maybe it's people you've tried to serve or help, and you're stabbed in the back. And things are being said about your skills or about your motives or about your value or about your failures or about your past or about your future. And who, if anyone, would have had those feelings and gone through that and asked questions about, is this in vain other than Paul? And he says that. There's quite a few times in Scripture where he writes and he says, I'm hoping that my work is not in vain here. I'm writing to you. Is there still faith in Corinth, in Philippi? As what I've invested, is it bearing anything or is it leaking? Is it all gone? Is it, was it for nothing that I've exerted energy and time and, and allowed God to work through me? I've, I've died to myself. I've died to my flesh. I'm trying to live for God, the power of his kingdom and his mission. Is it accomplishing anything anywhere? And that is not uncommon for Christians to feel that way. And maybe you've been around for some time investing in the kingdom of God, and you're wondering, where is the result? So do I have any fruit to show for this? You know, that Paul asked that. You know, John the Baptist asked that. John the Baptist was sitting in prison, about to be beheaded. He had preached and preached and preached the kingdom of God, and he had pointed to Christ and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And had his disciples follow after Jesus, they go follow him instead. He's the Messiah that God has sent for the world. And he's sitting in jail and he thinks, he, he sends some of his friends to Christ asking, are you really the one that was supposed to be sent or should we be looking for another? Is this in vain? Is it really happening? Are things working out as God said they would? God is writing a story through Paul's experiences. And God was writing a story during John the Baptist and through John the Baptist's experience. God is writing a story in your life. Are you staying in the story this morning? Are you embracing the story, staying in it? Verse 5, But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. We know from the subsequent verse that we'll be reading that he apparently did not exhibit any swelling or discomfort. He shook the snake off into the fire and was unharmed. Why did Paul appear unfazed? Because he was standing on the promises of God. And this morning, we need to stand on God's promises. In the prior chapter, when they are still on the boat at sea... This is what Paul says to the men. Ready? Verse 21 of, of chapter 27. They had gone a little, they had gone a long time without food. <clears throat> Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage, this damaging and this loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. 
And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. That island, of course, was Malta. Paul had been told by God that he would stand before Caesar. So a snake biting him, even a poisonous viper, was not of great consequence to Paul. God had promised him safe passage. If God has spoken something to you, and he has, cling to his word, stand on his promises. It's just a matter of time, and nothing can stand in the way. The Bible is filled with promises that God has made to us. Pastor Bob has made reference to a sheet that um, just has 10 of them. There's thousands of promises in Scripture. Here's 10 of them that has been out in the foyer. I encourage you to grab one on your way out. God will fight for you. It's Exodus 14, 14. God will give you power, Isaiah 40, 29. God will restore your strength, Isaiah 40, 31. God is with you and will help you, Isaiah 41, 10. God gives you wisdom. God forgives our sins. God will never leave you. God will supply your every need. God's love is steadfast to those who call upon him. God has promised you the crown of life. God has compassion for you. God gives you freedom. Stand on his promises. Abraham, when he was 99 years of age, God told him he would have a son. And his body should have been incapable, and his wife's body incapable of it. And he stood on the promises of God. And along came Isaac. Stand on the promises of God. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and was unharmed. It's interesting that God did not keep Paul from being beaten, thrown in prison, from being shipwrecked. Didn't keep, he didn't even keep the snake from biting him. Didn't keep the people from rushing to judgment, but he kept the poison from killing him. Our souls are safe in the hands of Christ. Our spirits are with him in heavenly places. We're awaiting our glorious new body one day. Praise God. The supernatural did come into play. Maybe not when we expected or when we thought it would, but it came. Paul didn't go out looking for trouble, didn't play with venomous snakes for fun. But when it bit him, he stood on the promises of God, and God gave him the grace to endure it. Poison from a viper, I'm told, uh, will kill you uh, within 10 minutes to 2 hours. The average time, 30 minutes to 60 minutes, you would die. And so in verse 6, the people waited for him to swell up, or suddenly dropped dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. When pain happens, people watch. Uh, I played fifth grade peewee football, and we had a guy on our team, team named JD, and JD suffered a horrific foot ankle break uh, while we were doing drills. And when that happened, Every person on the team and the other team that was practicing and people that were in the park went quiet. 
And everybody's eyes went to JD. And people are watching. When you get bit or when you endure slander, someone somewhere is watching. People watch. People continue to watch. Oftentimes their conclusions change. A pastor spoke out in opposition of a school that was promoting the LGBT agenda. The local paper quickly labeled him a homophobe and a hater. But one such person identifying as a homeless transgender came to a different conclusion when this same pastor showed concern for him when no one else would. On a below zero day in January, like today, when the homeless shelter was already full, this pastor picked him up, fully aware of his identifying position, bought him lunch, and paid for him to check into a hotel. Indeed, the pastor was not afraid, nor was he a hater. Rather, he valued the individual, even though he disagreed with the lifestyle choices that were being made. The media rushes to conclusions, people rush to conclusions, have assumptions. But it's then, after serving, and while serving, getting bit, and then being slandered, after that, people are watching. And minds can be changed. Then, maybe more than ever. Time and consistency bring clarity. You continue, your continuing will help define the narrative. Resting on the mercies of God. His mercies are new every morning. In Paul's situation, the people didn't even come to the right conclusion. They changed their mind, but now they thought he was a god. This happened earlier on when Paul was with Barnabas, when he was a free man still, in Lystra. And they were preaching the gospel and God's power was working there, and the people thought, oh, this, these guys are gods. Paul must be Zeus and Barnabas some other god. And Paul and Barnabas, they tore their clothes in dismay. They ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings like you. We have come to bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. It's likely that this was Paul's response um, here as well. Our lifestyle and the power of God at work in us makes a sound. People can hear. Verse 7, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius. The chief official of the island, he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. Poplius, uh, the word chief um, official uh, in the Greek, it actually means first man of the island. He's probably the governor. Um, and there's some virtue in him. You know, he was kind to them. Maybe that's why the people of the island um, were like that as well, a top-down thing. What a humble guy, it seems. He treated us kindly for three days. Verse 8, as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him. Why and how did Paul get to go into the room of the governor's father? Access granted. Paul was given access 
maybe because of his serving or maybe because of the miraculous staying power, the credibility that he gained by his story and his example. The spirit of Jesus was in Paul, and this was the difference maker. People notice something different because God works through our life. Paul had the spirit of Christ in him and upon him, and he was being used by God. And he was submitting to the Holy Spirit. And in doing that, he was able to react with faith and stand on the promises of God. People watched, they took notice, and in this instant, access was granted to him to go into the governor's father's room. <coughs> I remember Bo Lee, who is the pastor of the New York church plant, Hope Hill, saying that when he was a teenager and kind of walking away from the faith, that what brought him back or helped him look at Christianity again was thinking and looking at his father. And he said, in my dad, I had never witnessed any hypocrisy in my life. No hypocrisy. He talked about his dad being honest and steadfast and that there was a real joy in him and a real peace that he hadn't seen everywhere else that he had been looking. And that brought him back to the person of Christ where the power comes from. Paul was granted access because of his example. And Paul was ready. When he went in, he prayed for him. When our life gives us a platform or when there becomes an open avenue or someone asking a question, some influence given to us in some fashion, there's an open door to counsel or to talk or to see or to... Be ready. Paul was ready. I don't know if he had any words or not, but he was ready to pray. You don't have to be an expert. We have to be ready to let God use us. We're not even told that Paul had yet told anybody or preached the gospel. He may have preached the gospel, but he goes in and he prays for this guy. Verse 8, and laying hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Paul, going through all these things, standing on the promises of God. When your eyes are on Jesus, the power of Christ is in you. And when he went up, I don't know if he said anything more than, God, this man is hurting Will you touch him? And as Paul touched him, the power of Jesus Christ healed that man. Not because Paul was great, but because Paul was a channel of God's spirit. The Holy Spirit rested upon Paul. The Holy Spirit is not bought. It's not taught. It comes from being in the presence of God. Like cologne being in a room where someone has cologne on, you walk out smelling like that. The anointing of God resting upon Paul to do healing. He just let the Holy Spirit work. 
God opened a door now. God's been writing a story. God's writing a story, and now God wants to pour his power into this situation. It's interesting that Luke, uh, the writer of Acts, the travel companion of Paul, he was a medical doctor, yet he endorses something beyond his personal practice, the power of God. God's power can flow through our voice, our hands, our work, when we're working. When we're submitted to God, God's power, we might be unaware of it. We might not even know it. And God's power is coming out of us, touching someone. God's power is traveling through us and touching people. A wave makes ripples. A splash makes ripples. Look what happens. People, all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Word got out. What the devil intended for evil, God turned into good. Paul writes in Thessalonians of um, commending them the church in Thessalonica. And he says, because you guys have received the gospel in much affliction, and because you're growing in faith, the work of faith, the labor of love, patience of hope, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece, both throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Those regions, you know what cities are in those regions? Corinth, Philippi, Berea, Athens, all of those churches grew in faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the Thessalonian church. Powerful ripples. They might not have known they were touching anybody. It seems like they're losing because in Thessalonica they are being persecuted for their faith. It might not seem that anything's happening. And the people, the other towns around, the other Christians catch wind of it and their faith is um, strengthened mightily. And Paul shares that with them. Let the Holy Spirit work. The Holy Spirit is working and God is writing stories. Big storylines. Little storylines. Verse 10, as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. For the people of Malta, this, was, um, this would be natural. When God touches your life in some way, when anybody touches your life in a way that is powerful and encouraging or transforming, the response is gratitude and giving and a desire to honor. And that's what they did to Paul. They wanted to please God. They wanted to bring, uh, bless Paul. But more than that, um, when we allow God's spirit to work through us, we will one day be honored. God honors us. God's reward is given. I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. 
The servants who are ready and waiting for Jesus' return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not give us everything else? And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So, I don't know where you are today, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I believe this morning that God wants to heal some people in this room. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit, and he wants to touch people that are sick in some manner, body, soul, or spirit. And it's not because I'm eloquent, because I'm not. And when I try to be, I just sound dumb. But because God is good, and he is loving, and he wants to move in our lives and provide us with power and strength and wisdom and passion and a forgiving heart. So I believe uh, as the worship team comes up today that, and we, as we purposefully end a little early, that we stand in God's presence. And I encourage you to come up for prayer or even to stand up here symbolizing your humility before God and your need for his touch in your life. We have to have strength from God because we can't get it from people like we need it. It has to come from God. So this morning as we end, I believe with all my heart that God will touch people in ways that they need it. Jesus will give us peace for worries. He's going to give us courage for fears, comfort for sorrows, strength for weariness, patience for waiting, passion for the lost.